my mum goes to a church in uh, Solihull Hull in the West Midlands of the UK, and um, the Solihull Hull Council call their church the fourth emergency service because they have such an incredible impact in their community. And it was a church of 10 people for donkey's years, but they were just faithfully answering the call of God. And then it became, a, I guess, a mega church, like a lot of people going, you know, two, three services on a Sunday, and, uh, but just so well-resourced. One of the main things that they did was they supported um, just people in, vulnerable people in the community and single mothers and what they could provide. When someone goes to the council in an emergency and they're calling the church to help people out. I mean, that's what you want, isn't it? Because they didn't have the resources, but they knew that they could contact the local church. So that dream is well and truly possible. Thanks, Sam, for sharing. All right, folks, I want to read Psalm 23 today and spend a bit of time in there. Um, I've been reading this psalm recently and reflecting on it, and then... um, after spending the morning just reading the psalm and in the psalm someone came to school and uh, gave the devotion all about Psalm 23 and I just felt the confirmation of God to follow that inkling and to preach on or preach from Psalm 23. So let's read. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's just a beautiful psalm, and it's quite a well-known psalm. Um... But I feel like it's rich, and so I just want to spend the, the, uh, this time unpacking it. Um, and as I was preparing, I just felt the Lord just encouraging me that, you know, when, you, when you're um, meditating on Scripture and you're, you're diving into the Word, like you're positioning yourself to have an encounter with God, aren't you? You're positioning yourself to commune with the Lord. So I was like, Lord, let this be more than just me preaching and just, you know, reading this familiar psalm and and telling you guys about different elements of it, but let it be like an encounter for me. Like even as I'm preaching, I I need what's in this psalm for my life, you know? And so I'm I'm believing that as I'm reading that we're actually going to just pause and actually receive what the Lord has for us through this psalm. So starting off, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So Jesus in John 10 Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Isn't it so true, the good shepherd? And I think I find so much comfort from knowing that he is a good shepherd. 
I had a revelation of that just recently. I was going through a dark season and just struggling a bit. And then just that phrase, the good shepherd. He is a good shepherd and he's shepherding my soul. I was like, I'd found myself in a place of independence and I'd forgotten that the Lord is my shepherd, you know. He's the one who's guiding me. And I was like, oh, that's right. And I just felt so comforted and refreshed. And I allowed him again to lead me into that place of not being in want. In Psalm 100, it says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so that whole idea of not living in want, um, I forgot to put this in my notes, but the, 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 I, the key theme for me in that is like that we are satisfied by the Lord. We're satiated. We're completely satisfied by the Lord. So that, that brings us to that place of not being in want. If you find yourself um, hungry for the things of the world, you know, or tempted in some way, it's generally because you're not being satisfied by God. I remember reading the verse where it says, um, those who love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And I thought, oh, so because there's still sin in my life, this was a long time ago and I, before I'd given my life to God, I was reading the scriptures, I was like, oh, he doesn't love me. God doesn't love me because there's sin. But then as I grew as a believer, I realized, no, no, no. What he's saying is, I'm still in love with the world because the love of the Father isn't in me. If the love of the Father was in me, I would no longer love those things anymore. I'd see them for what they are. Can you see the difference? And so there's this opportunity to not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So there's an immediate need in, to be in submission. To be led requires a submission, doesn't it? And sometimes we're stubborn and we don't want to be led. Or sometimes we don't trust the Lord, so we don't allow him to lead us to the things that we need. But it takes humility to enable him to lead us but where does he lead us? To a place of rest in green pastures beside still waters. Immediately as I think green pastures, still waters, I'm, I'm seeing a picture of Eden straight away. It's a garden, it's lush, it's green, and there's the river of life, you know. It's actually a, a picture of Eden, which is a type and a shadow in the Bible that repeats itself so many times. But Eden means pleasure. And the, the, uh, the Collins Dictionary says, a delightful place, region, dwelling, etc. Paradise, a state of great delight, happiness, or contentment, or bliss, is the definition of Eden. Genesis 2.10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. So you can see there's this type and shadow there that God is inviting us into this, his original intention for us, which was to be in a place of intimacy, 
Eden is the, the temple where God and man dwelt together. You know, it's this garden of intimacy, this place. So, you know, there's this sense of satisfaction in the Lord. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So that sense of fullness that comes from the Lord. So let's just take a moment to, to breathe him in or something. I don't know. Like, Father God, you say that you can provide. You can satisfy us, Lord God. It doesn't mean things are all going to be easy, but there's a satisfaction that we can receive from you, Lord God, that you lead us to places of refreshing that you remind us of this opportunity to walk with you, to, to, to experience that original intention for us, which was to walk with you in intimacy. So right now, Father, we pray that we would receive a freshness, Lord God, a rest, that we would experience the fullness of joy, that we would receive the pleasure forevermore that comes from being led by you to the places that you lead us. And what happens in that place? He restores my soul. Again, like restoration implies that it was, there was something there that needed restoring, right? It's about bringing something back to its former condition. And again, it's, it points us to Eden, doesn't it? And particularly, I think, it points us to that restoration of relationship. It's a restoration of intimacy. It's how he, how he made us, how he intended us to be in the beginning. But we're learning to, to, to trust and to be led so that we'd be satisfied and then he restores our souls. And I think that this can happen in, in different ways, like, you know, when you're first becoming a believer and you're entering into all these things for the first time and you've got that newness of life and you're experiencing a new normal where you're satisfied in the Lord and all this, I want for nothing, those things that you just crave for that you know aren't good are gone because you're being satisfied. But also as you journey on, you can find yourself, man, I've had such a richer experience in my walk with the Lord before. Revive me, Lord, like take me back. Restore me again to what I know I can experience with you, what I know I can live out in that place of intimacy. Genesis 3, 8 to 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So there's that picture of that intimate paradigm of walking, you know, the Lord comes to meet with them in the cool of the garden and they're hiding. And we know that because of the blood of the lamb, we never have any reason to hide. Our sins have been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. So we go looking for him in the garden. 
You know, we don't have to wait. We can pursue him for intimacy and for connection. Father, we just pray right now that you'd revive our lives, Lord God, in any ways that we have lost sight of, of who we are, in any places where we're no longer experiencing that intimacy and that fullness that comes from our walk with you. Father, we just pray a refreshment today over everybody in the house, Lord God. And if you're remembering a season where things were so much better in your walk with the Lord, he can restore that. He can bring you back and take you further. Thank you, Jesus. Reading on. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I thought it was interesting I was reading that the restoration came first and then the paths of righteousness. He restores us. He establishes in who we are. And it's from that place that you then walk out your new identity. <clears throat> you don't try and walk out your new identity to be restored. You know, it'd be, you'd never get there. You receive that restoration by the grace of God, and then he leads you in paths of righteousness. Again, there's that submission to his leadership and his guidance. And what, you know, paths of righteousness, to me it just speaks of pure integrity in every area of our lives, the seen and the unseen. <clears throat> and when I reflect on for his name's sake, Well, let's talk a bit more about him leading us. Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will give you counsel and watch over you. So you can see he's leading. Small person trapped in a doorway or something. she okay? Um... Yeah, so the Lord instructing us and teaching us the way we should go. Paths of righteousness. And his name is on display through our lives. For his name's sake. Like his reputation is actually on the line in this. We're actually ambassadors. You know, so we need to be led, truly led by him in order to be true ambassadors. It's like this fellowship with him that enables us to find out who we truly are. Because we're walking in intimacy, we're having fellowship, he's revealing to us our true nature, so that his name is well represented in the earth. First Peter 1, 15-16 says... But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So his name is on display through our lives. And as we are led by him, we are those true ambassadors. Hallelujah.
and also just practically, there's an opportunity to, to testify. And 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So you can see there's hope in us because we've been led by the Lord. We're filled with hope. And then the nature of God is on display, gentleness and respectful in the way that we deliver. But we're called to have, a, have an answer for people who ask, why are you so filled with hope? But you need to be demonstrating that too, don't you, with your life. And he's worthy of the glory. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Revelation 4 says, You are worthy, my Lord and my God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will all things were created. Thank you, Lord. I pray that our lives would be living epistles, Lord God, that we would be ambassadors with our lives, Lord God, and prepared at any moment to give an account of why we're so filled with hope, of why our lives are radiating the peace of God, because we're allowing you to lead us, Lord God. And all who are led by the Spirit are the sons and daughters. The, The sons and daughters represent the Father, don't they? The family resemblance. I've got to get that verse into every preach that I ever preach, I think. It's my favorite verse. It's a desire of my heart to be continually led by the Spirit. It's a good promise to live for, isn't it? How are we all doing? Verse 4 we're up to. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, So the reality is we are still here in a broken world. We are still living under the shadow of death. Death is all around and life is fleeting. Now we know all those verses that talk about life is but a breath, a wisp, like a vapor, like a flower that grows in the morning and wilts in the afternoon. Like if you look at the grand scheme of things, our lives are just so fragile and fleeting. And Ecclesiastes talks so much about how fleeting our lives are. In 7.15, it says, During the days of my fleeting life, I have seen both of these things. Sometimes a righteous person dies prematurely in spite of his righteousness. And sometimes a wicked person lives long in spite of his evil deeds. We just don't have an answer for why, you know. It's just the nature of this life. Sometimes the good people pass away, you know, prematurely. But I will fear no evil, for he is with me, for you are with me. So to live is Christ and to die is gain, Philippians 1, 21. 
our lives are for the Lord, aren't they? Why would I fear death? For me, death is to gain. For me, death is complete liberation, <laughs> complete freedom from the trials and the suffering of this, this valley, this low place that we are walking through. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. That's 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 3 to 5. The faithfulness of God. Thank you, Jesus. He's with us. He's faithful to begin to complete the good work that he's begun in us. We know that, like I said before, nothing can separate us from, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We've been redeemed. Hebrews 13 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It's from Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Why would I be afraid? No reason to fear. It's like when we have an intruder or Grace thinks there's an intruder. She says, go downstairs, see if there's someone there. So I go down. She says, why didn't you get a knife or something? What am I going to do with a knife? It's more likely he gets it off me and stabs me. You live by the sword, you die by the sword, don't you? You know, what have I got to be afraid of though? Like I'm not going to try and like defend myself with brute force or anything like that. I don't, you know, my life is in the hands of the Lord, like... I'm not going to be afraid of anything. I remember my, my father, who's not a believer, told me not to let fear stop you from doing anything because it's like fear is, is an illusion most of the time. It's things, you know, an expectation that something will happen that isn't going to happen. And sometimes there's genuine risk, but, you know, we had this really long, dark alleyway that was so scary in my village and I had to always walk down it to get home or it was a massive loop around. And I, as a kid, would be like really scared walking up there, but I never let it stop me because I remember what my dad had said. Because um, it was about like someone, what someone else might do. So they've won already. If, I, if, if I'm afraid of what somebody else might do, they've won and I haven't even tried it. Do you see what I mean? If I was to detour. So it struck me, I'm like, no, I'm not going to bow down to fear. And I've always been like that. I was terrified when I moved to Australia the second time. What have I done? I'm, three, I'm so far from home. I've come for three years. I'm so alone. Be scared and do it anyway. The rest is history. All right, he is with us. So here's, this is amazing. Acts 10, 38. 
How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. So I'm just picking up at 38 because it's just a point. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were, who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. God was with him. The very same thing that's true about us. God is with us. Everything that we just read the Lord about the Lord. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. That just blows my mind. God was with him. He, the, you know, the Lord did those things because God was with him. Is that not the very same opportunity we have? Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that it wouldn't just be doctrine that we believe, that we've heard, that we think we know, but we would be awakened to the reality of where we are, Lord God. We are in your presence. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And that all the things that we're called to do in this life are because you are with us. That's why we believe we can do them. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod tends to be used for giving things a whack. And a staff, when I think of staff, and particularly a good shepherd's staff, I think of the, the crook, you know, the round top for hooking their necks and pulling them back in line. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. <laughs> because we're, his name is at stake in all of this. It's the father and his children. It's the family business that's on the line here. That was Proverbs 3, by the way. He's the one whose rod and staff comfort us because it's like his presence. When you, when you experience the discipline of the Lord, you're like, oh, it's actually so filled with his love for the desired outcome that we would become who we're called to be. He's guiding us. Oh, your presence is like he hadn't felt near to me until he disciplined me. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> oh, you're so present, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me on the right path. Forgive me, Lord, I was straying there. And he leaves the 99, doesn't he? Hebrews 12, verse 11. For the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
I love that. The peaceable fruit of righteousness. It's a brilliant description, isn't it? Hallelujah. Okay, we're up to verse 5. How many verses are there in this psalm? Next week we're doing Psalm 119, folks. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard that thousands of times. But really wrestling with it, you kind of look and you go, sitting down for a meal in the presence of my enemies, that doesn't sound like a good idea. You know, like, aren't you supposed to fight (laughs) when the enemies are nearby? So there's obviously something more going on. But there's a, he's prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. We know that we have daily bread. Is this special background music for this part of the sermon, is it? It's like... The presence of my enemies. You just got to, I just got to get to that point when I, I can invite you all forward and that can play and you can have these encounters. So, where were we? Yes. What is this all about? A place, a table prepared in the presence of our enemies. So there's, there's a, it's saying essentially that when we're facing opposition, there's a meal for us. There's something to partake of in the midst of a battle. There's some kind of sustenance available as we fight. Now normally I like to think of having my big meal and getting ready before I go and do the fighting. Not that I've been in many fights. But you'd want to be energized first, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be ready? (laughs) Well, let's say go to the gym. You'd want to, you know what I mean? You'd have your four bean mix, wouldn't you? Your proteins or whatever it is that you do. And then you'd be energized for the fight. But this is saying the table is prepared in the presence of my enemies. This is like the two things are colliding. So it's like there's strength from the battle. I feel like in in my life, I've waited for, for the Lord to prepare me for something in order to go after it. Like that giant has got to come down in my life. The Lord, I need something. But no, he's saying, go and take that giant down and you'll get the energy as you as you're in the presence of your enemy. Do you know what I mean? Like you'll, you'll be empowered as you fight. Yes, Lord. He's just, it's confirming me. Every, it's confirming the word, isn't he? He's like, no. So I feel as though I'm going to embrace the battle because I'm going to wage war with the promises of God over my life, you know that I would be a son who's continually led by his, by his spirit, that I would be growing up into the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. I'm, I know that's available to me. He started a good work in me. He's going to get me there. I'm going to hold fast to the promises of God for my life. 
and I'm going to see those things that are in opposition to that come down. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to go. All I know is God is for me. All I know is he's good, right? We can do this together. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to stay back in the wilderness. I'm going to take hold of the promises, right? Because I believe I can. Why? Because he is with me. So let's go. (laughs) So Father, right now, anyone facing an enemy, anyone in a battle over something in their life right now, Father, we just decree your provision, the daily bread, the manna from heaven, the thing that we will be sustained by, the spiritual nutrients, Lord God, that they be released as we stand up and fight as we just face our enemies as we believed we're going to take those places as we're going to inherit those promises just let's go like let's believe let's go let's get over into that promised land and start taking hold of the things that we are called to jesus You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So we have all been given the Holy Spirit. And the oil is an emblem of the Spirit. The Passion Translation says you've given us your Holy Spirit. It's a symbol of the Spirit. You've been given the oil. We're anointed by God. Our cup overflows. Now, overflowing isn't half full or half empty. (laughs) It's overflowing. Our cup overflows. Who's leading us? Who's our provider? Who's bringing us into these things? He's making our cup overflow. Ephesians 3.19. This is one example of the many and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God filled to fullness is overflowing and however you get filled to filledness full to filledness or however you want to say that is how you stay so that you're continually being filled to fullness and it's a lifestyle of overflowing That's how people get touched by your life, because you've been led. Yeah, this is the best preach ever. Oh, my word, I'm happy. Hallelujah. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. All the fullness of God. Come on. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Romans 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for the good. Goodness is following you. Goodness is following you. 
Isn't that awesome? And what else? Mercy. The first thing I think of is that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy. We live lives merciful towards others because we understand how the Lord has been merciful to us. We recognize our need for mercy, and so we live mercifully towards those who fail us or who don't live up to the standard, who, who offend us or who get it wrong, who are unkind to us, whatever it is, we show them mercy. We repay their evil for good. Isn't that wonderful? James 2 talks about it like this. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. It's a bit like, how can you be forgiven if you don't forgive? If you hold someone in judgment without mercy, then you will receive no mercy. You will be shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. So, Father, remind us, Lord God, of your incredible mercy toward us, your incredible goodness toward us, Lord God. We know that who you are to us will be who you are through us, Lord. I pray that we would live lives just radiating your mercy, forgiving those who get it wrong, Lord God, and keeping short accounts with one another, Lord. And just receiving your goodness and living lives that demonstrate your goodness. Father, we pray that that would be the nature of this house, Lord God. Looking like Jesus, feeling like a family and impacting the world for the gospel, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. It's your nature, so let it be ours. And finally, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we're back to where we began really, aren't we? In the garden, the house of the Lord, the house of God is his temple presence. It's his garden, right? It's his house. It's the home of God where there are many rooms. There's a place for each one of us. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus, that we are called to abide unto fruitfulness, Lord, that dwell with you forever. The garden by the river. Hallelujah. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Well, that was my exegesis of Psalm 23, folks. I'm going to finish today by reading it to you 
from the passion. I tried to find out where this psalm came from so I could set it in the context of David's life, but it's unknown at what point this psalm was written. But it is a psalm of David, and uh, the Passion entitles it The Good Shepherd. Yahweh is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace near the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me the right path and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast, even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my cup overflows. So why would I fear the future? Only goodness and tender love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we just acknowledge your presence. Today, Lord God, as we've read that psalm and meditated on the scriptures, Lord, I can see clearly again your heart, the heart of a good shepherd. Father, I pray that we would all leave this place today and remember that proximity to you is the best thing we could do. That we will be satisfied, Lord God. That we will bring you glory, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
restore us, Lord God, to your original intention. Remind us of the promises over our lives. We know that there's promises for all of us to be conformed to the image of Christ. But there's also individual promises over your lives. Dreams and desires that you have. Father, we pray that we would have the boldness to occupy the, the land of those promises, Lord God. We would have the boldness to, even though we feel unprepared, by faith we would act, Lord God. By faith we would proceed. By faith we would wage war. Because we know that if, as we step into battle, we will be able to receive those spiritual nutrients that you have for us, Lord God. To increase us in ways that we never would imagine. Father, we pray that we would just remember today who we are, whose we are, and where we are, Lord. And that you are the shepherd of our souls, Lord God. That you are the good shepherd. We only need to look to you for guidance. And you will lead us, Lord. Father, we, we just repent for the times when we've been stubborn, Lord God. We repent for the times when we've been far from you, Lord God, where we've looked into the fields of the fatherless, Lord God, where we've considered moving a boundary that we know that you put in place. We just repent, Lord God. There's nothing in the fields of the fatherless for us, Lord God. It's an illusion. And it will not satisfy. We are the sheep of your pasture, Lord God. And we just remember that today. That we would, we would allow you to lead, Lord God. That we would be your sons and daughters who represent you well because we know your heart. And we bless everyone in the house today, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.